Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you trying to thrive in today's society being someone who's autistic? Are you trying to find your true self? Well, my next guest, the actually autistic life coach, Christopher Fern, I'm going to talk with him and we're going to find out what he does and how he can help you find your true self. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. <laughs> in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in i want to believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in shape shifting same player different position the definition can stick with them drifting through these layers of wisdom Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with the actually autistic coach, Christopher Fern. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Hello, Reed. Good to be here. Thank you very much. No problem. As I always like to ask every one of my guests, so tell me a little bit about yourself. That's a statement, but I will tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> um, I am 36. I have, most of my life, I knew that I was a completely different way I had a completely different way of operating but I was often experiencing um what well, I think a lot of us experience which is this sort of alienation from society mm -hmm. and this uh like I was made fun of in school I was in detention every week I failed a lot of the early classes until I got to calculus of all things um I, I had this really weird like all of my friends are like dude you're just so weird and I don't I didn't know what they meant I was diagnosed with Asperger's as well, actually, um, just a few years ago. And it wasn't a huge, like a lot of people have a lot of mixed experiences. You talk to one person, like it changed my life. You talk to somebody else, like it didn't matter much. The only thing it did was give me a box in which to say, there is this thing that we call this, that I am, um, that I am now called. And now I can say everybody else that's also called this thing has these shared comorbidities or these shared characteristics, aspects or traits that I also recognize. So while I didn't feel like an alien, I didn't, I, not all of my problems were solved. Um, my early childhood, there was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of neglect. There was a, and there's a lot of systemic issues that have created it that I'm going to not get into here, but essentially I, I had a lot of um, trauma, right? And a big part of the trauma is and, and was uh, having to do with the stigma around Asperger's and around autism. And people didn't know what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. That was 20 years ago or earlier. Uh, and one of the biggest things that I focused on as I was growing up, as I was becoming an adult, is what is the absolute best way to ensure that um, I can thrive, not just survive? So, for example, I my mother, you know, I also didn't have a lot of money, and my mother was on disability for most of my childhood and teenage years, and I would watch her get, you know, plan out her next month with the same amount of money every single time. And then at the end of the month, be stressed that there wasn't any. So it's like you have you have the plan. Why don't you just follow it? It should just work, right? It should just make sense. And I'm, I'm using these terms specifically because these are also terms that we as 
I found that one of the collective experiences, and you may have had some similar experiences, mm -hmm. is this sense of you should just you should just be able, you know, you know better. You should just be able to make it work. If so and so can do it, why can't you? And mm -hmm. why don't you just make just make a list? Because this word just shows up a lot. And um I was committed, even as a child, watching the suffering of my mom. And mostly I was suffering too, you know, like I saw her get stressed. I saw her um, have significant mental health issues and I saw a pattern and I said, I can do it better. And when I got into my early twenties, got salary jobs, I realized, you know what? I actually can't do it better. I thought I could, thought I could as an egoic little adult, young adult, but I can't. And I figured out, I still was committed to figuring it out. And I eventually, I think, cracked the code on what it is about people. I don't even, I wouldn't, won't even say it's neurodivergent people, but people that causes this disconnect between what we should be able to do and what we actually can do. Mm -hmm. And um, that's ever since I, I, I realized that code or that algorithm, mm -hmm. I'm a computer science guy. I'm a very logical person. I'm a very big analyst. I realized that that's what the world needed. And so that's what I'm here on the planet to do is ensure that people can make better decisions by um, using some unconventional and counterintuitive methods that I've created, but that work with the human being, not with the idealist version of themselves. Now, do you have ADHD as well? I have not been diagnosed, but I say that I do. And I say that I do because, very similar to how these boxes work, I talk to several others with ADHD, and I look at the diagnosis criteria, and I fit the bill. Um, so I expect that I would be. Now, here's the interesting part about that question. In my young adult life, or young young adult life and young teenage life and even I, I think young childhood I was really hyper I was talking really fast mm -hmm. I was bouncing right. off the walls right and I learned very quickly that people get mad when you do that yep so if you look at me as an adult I don't act like it like some of the ADHD children I know but when I pay attention to my inner monologue and what's going on in my head and what I am, am compelled to do, it's very ADHD in character. I get that. I get that a lot. I mean, I remember being in school and uh, stories of my parents saying to me, you know, we used to get calls from your teacher saying we couldn't sit still in class until one day they found out, oh, he can sit still in class, but it was only one class and it was his general science class. And they were like, oh, yep. something's different about him. Why is it he's just his general science? And then we didn't know until later, I until my mid-20s, when family members, I had a family member who was a family lawyer and I had family members who were, psych were psychologists and psychiatrists all told my mother, we think Reed's got symptoms of high-functioning autism. And then it's like, ding! Like this light bulb went off. Did it go off or turn on? Probably turn on because <laughs> they didn't know what was going on with me. Yeah. So how did that... I'm curious. I know it's your show. I'm just no, curious. It's okay. How That's... did that 
that's what my show's about. That... You can ask me anything as well. Cool. How did that affect you, though? Because I know for me, I was put in the class. I was assessed in all kinds of different ways. There were some suspicions. Nobody ever really said, Chris has got this. So you say ding almost as if everything changed for you. And I don't know much about you, so I'm curious. No, it didn't change for me, but it changed my parents' perspective of, oh, mm. this explains why he's done this. This is, explains why he's done that. This explains why he doesn't think before he says something. I mean, there have been stories of me saying something to my parents or correcting my parents when they're telling a story when I should be thinking, hmm, maybe I should stop and wait for them and get them alone, then tell them so I don't embarrass them. Yeah, relevance is uh, one of the themes in my work that I find is not just something that neurodivergents have a hard time with, but neurotypicals too. I think we just have a lot harder of a time. Yeah. I mean, I've been told, I I was sent to a special education program in the University of Oshkosh right out of high school after I graduated and I didn't last long college life back then wasn't for me and I shared this story in my last show I remember being sit down we had a dinner with the previous students that graduated and one of the students sat down with me and he we're talking he's like I'm going to teach you a secret and he's like I'm like sure what's that he's like where it takes a normal person one hour to do their work it takes us two to three because it takes us one hour just to read it and then that two to three hours is to process it and understand what we just read. Yeah. And that sticks with me yep. to this day is we, our minds don't work A to B. Our minds work A to B to C to, to G back and all over the place until we hit B. And then we have to figure out what's relevant out of all of that, which requires contextualization, which also requires often a break in order to switch gears. I'm a big numbers guy. Um, and I didn't I don't think about myself as a numbers guy, but I find a lot of meaning in numbers because you can't numbers don't lie. Sure. Right. The only thing that might make them biased is the context in which they're created. And so I've measured, I'm not going to say objectively because that would contradict the statement I just made, but I've measured <laughs> things that I do and um and say uh, how long it takes me to do an assignment or a project, or even before we got on the show, we were talking about you know some of the stuff that I was focusing on today. And if somebody were to watch my process, they would say, wow, you're taking so long with something that would just take me a few minutes. But one thing that I find to be a constant thread with every neurodivergent that I talk to is, it's not even about a lack of discernment. It's about the inspiration to explore and apply ourselves in ways that are systematic and cause us to ultimately save time, but it doesn't look like it at first. Like, have you ever seen the chart uh, where they show like a programmer doing a job and then a normal person doing a job? And the normal mm -hmm. person is just a diagonal line. It goes up linearly, right? Yeah. Just like this. The programmer, so it's a chart between how long the job takes and how much effort you're putting in. The programmer just goes like almost vertical and then it's just a, a horizontal line. So looking at that from the outside, it looks and programmers, a lot of them, a lot of them are neurodivergent people and I am I'm one of them. Um, but it's a consistent way of thinking of saying, I'm going to build this system 
And I'm gonna build the system to apply to the future version and iteration of the system so that it's easier to implement. And I'm also going to build the system in such a way that uh, it applies to more than just this one context. And in doing that, it takes so much longer, but the ultimate byproduct is you never have to deal with it again. So I, I think, you know, and now we're finding all these, all of these um, very famous people that have made a huge impact in the world are autistic or Asper Aspergian. Um, and and it's, it's a really interesting thing to see happen. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, um, what was I, oh God, I lost water right but um famous people famous coding, i know what you're talking about with famous people i mean more and more famous people are coming out today i mean a lot of people don't even know that daryl hannah is autistic chris rock has come out is. and spoke about it yep and i've talked with people who doubt elon is autistic he says he is but come on I don't know. I, no. I think if you have the right tools, you can function at a really high level. No real person would do what he would do if he was autistic. What? How do you mean? He put all his money into Twitter. He should have taken that money and throw it into research for autism if he was autistic. Unless he sees something that we don't see. True. I I have theories. I'm not sure how where your, your politics stand on this show. But what I will say is one of the things I've run into in my own experience in trying to both educate and help autistic people is a marketing and sales problem. And you talked before the show about a theme that you bring up in mm -hmm. a lot of episodes, and I can weave that in here quite nicely. All right. Um, this theme of why it feels, why it seems like other autistics or other people will chastise the words that we choose yeah. to use like Asperger's. And I, it's a complex question. So I'm, I'm going to try to touch on several points of this while also looping in your Elon comment, because I think you just tapped into a really important vein of the problem for autistic people and I'm, I'm wrapping asperger's into autism in this and i hope that doesn't offend anybody watching or listening but um it's just a habit that i have and i'm not offended if you want to separate i'll do that but the the thing that i have experienced you know i create free resources uh one of them is a uh one of them is a, a guide a set of videos that teach people about the neurology and psychology of the autistic and ADHD mind. And it uh, has its research backed. It's got, yeah, I'm talking, but it's got transcripts. And sure, it's not a fully crazily produced video because I will redo it before it's even out the door if I spend that much effort on it. I had to script it out, write out the script in chat GPT, reference all my articles to even make it consumable. Now, sales and marketing, the way that it's taught is classically very spammy but you also have to capture people's attention. Mm -hmm. Our group of people, ADHD slash autism, experiences a reality that I don't know if I can get into on, on, on this call. I don't know um, if I can distill it down to be very short. I can try, but we experience a reality. But the And the byproduct of that reality is we need frequent reminders. We need to keep things in our sphere around us. We need to... Um, 
constantly be discerning what's relevant and important. And we also need to not feel guilt or shame about it. Mm -hmm. That's at least that's my experience uh, with myself and others. So now here's a guy, me, who is trying to get this resource out to the world. You know, one of my objectives is to affect two million families in the next four years. And the only way to do that is to work with people like you or other advocates who have, who are reaching people and not only give out these free resources, but provide practical solutions. And this isn't a pitch for the stuff, the other stuff that I do, like the tools that I built or the coaching, but what it is, is a declaration that, yeah, I have a business. I am a coach. So if I send out a free resource that answers the problems of Jane and her question about her son that she can't understand or about this overwhelmed woman who's completely unable to pay her bills. And I can see the patterns and the reason why and how she's prioritizing what's around her and how that causes, like she has the money, but this same issue, like that's my mom, you know? Um, or I can see people who want to understand themselves, but are so bogged down by life and just barely getting by. And so bringing all of this together, marketing and sales says, follow up. I go to follow up with people. I send out this resource. Every, if we just take the subset of people who say, yeah, I want this free thing. And then I send it to them. Only about 20%, maybe, maybe 20, usually 50, 10 to 15 will open the resource. Then I have to go remind them again. And then I get another 10 to 15. And then I remind them a third time and I might get about five. So that's only 25% of people will do the thing that they said they were going to do. Out of that 25%, um, half of them say that they want a follow-up. Mm -hmm. Now, these are actual numbers that I've measured in my marketing. Half of them say that they want to follow. Can you remind me in two weeks? So I remind them and they they see the message and they don't reply or they say that they're overwhelmed. So I come back a week later and I remind them and I'm as friendly as I can possibly be. And I'm also aware that I need a ton of reminders and that our audience, our sort of people need a ton of reminders, but there's a clear bifurcation that happens very easy. And I'm on Facebook mostly. So there's a clear separation that happens after about three or four reminders, about 10% of people will just block me. So mm -hmm. there's a lack of ability to even get myself out there. About 30% of the groups that I put my content in have kicked me out because they think I'm a scammer or a sales and marketing guy. Um, I have a business. Mm. I've reached out to group owners and they say, if you're trying to promote your stuff, don't. I'm like, but how are we supposed to help the autistic community if I can't even get a, a uh, word in edgewise? I get that too. Um, a lot of the Facebook groups don't want you to promote. And it's the same question. It, why don't you want us to promote? How are we supposed to help you? We're here to help the, we're here to help the mass and you're right. not allowing it. Then you are and around, a horrible group owner. Exactly. Well, or what I've found is they don't have any clear idea of what the heck they want to do with the world. They just know there's a problem and I need to bring people together. And I think that's the solution. But when I ask these group owners, when I say to them, look, they say, what specifically do you want to do in the group? I'm like, honestly, this thing I'm trying to just post is just to enlighten the people who are confused. My mission in the world is huge, 
What I want to do is eliminate conflict. I think I have a way to do that. Do you want to talk about it? Is there a paid service involved? Like, wow, really? Everybody's suffering and you don't want to talk about it and you're going to block me or you're going to say, I don't think this conversation's for me. Meanwhile, you're going to, going to acknowledge the system, systemic issue. So going back to your Elon comment, if I had a bunch of money, the first thing that I would want to do is buy some way to reach a lot of people without that effect. And there's another side effect that he's dealing with now, which is a bunch of scammers and bots. But mm -hmm. um, how can we have autism? We have autism research. How can we have it matter if nobody is willing to hear it? Yeah, I hear you on that. And to go back to what we were talking about, I rem now I remember what I was going to say. You said you're, a... you're a programmer. Uh -huh. What's funny is, I don't understand programming logic. Okay. I my father was a computer person, but me, I don't understand. I can't write code if my life depended on it. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the logic, and that's my big issue is logic. What's interesting about logic for me, as I said, you might have caught it. I didn't do well in mathematics, which is an incredibly logical thing. I failed geometry. I didn't do well in mathematics until I hit calculus. Because what calculus deals with is the condensation and expansion of patterns. It's not solved for X. That didn't make any sense for me. Like, I could do it, but like, I didn't have fun. But once I got to calculus, I was like, oh, that's why math exists. <laughs> because I don't think in terms of programming, Programming is an expression of the thought. So this idea of being able to, you were saying it before, we go to A to P to Q to, and eventually come to B. And you were nodding as I was describing this sense of uh, we're trying to take in all this information and then find what's relevant and reorganize it and recontextualize it. To me, that's the thing that I want to express through the products that I create and I have, you have to make it be something. So programming was eventually where I ended up. But the the art of coding, people, a lot of people think it's logic. Most of software engineering or coding is about how you connect and relate the ideas together. And then you're, you're a programmer, essentially. Like you can be a programmer without writing code. Mm -hmm. You have to just simply understand how things connect. And I, I haven't met an, a neurodivergent person who doesn't have a sense of that. Anyway. So I would challenge you on that. Okay. Anyways, what prompted you to start your coaching business? I alluded to it earlier. Um, I grew up in a very disenfranchised situation. I saw and watched started with my mother suffer while thinking she had it all together while also telling me I should have it all together. I tried and failed to have it all together. I thought a lot of common things were the solution. They weren't. For example, I thought having more money or and a salary, I thought having a salary job would solve my problem with not having enough money. So I got one. I applied myself really hard. I got a salary I loved. The fact that I got paid regularly and I didn't have to work hours and punch a time clock. But then I encountered a different problem. I had a rich week when rent was due 
or sorry, when rent wasn't due and a poor week when rent was due. And during those times, I experienced the same problem my mother did. I thought I could do it. I planned ahead. And when I got to the end of the plan at the end of the month, it never matched up. So then I had to start looking at myself and what I, what actions I was taking and then ask myself why I was taking these actions. For example, on the poor weeks, I would overspend. I would deviate from the plan and it would be harder for me not to. One of my classic things that I would do is buy a bunch of chicken wings or pizza and just like more than I needed, like six pounds of wings, right? Like a lot. And of course, yeah, there's emotional work and trauma work that some might say would cause that. And that's valid. Uh, and I've, I had to discover that for myself, but then I also had to say, well, why is it that even though when I, have the abundance of money or time or energy i notice how it should be but then when i don't have that abundance it's almost like what i notice doesn't even exist no matter how many times i go through that process and that unlocked a lot of realization for me and then that's when i started to apply these relationships between things and specifically relationships between my perspectives over time now, these were things, again, I didn't know I was autistic at the time. I'm just literally trying to function in the way that everybody else says they should. Later, I find out because of my research and because of talking to people that nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Um, but I had to figure out how to create a situation where I could have discernment through the emotions and experiences that I was blind to during a time when I had low a low functioning state. And so it wasn't until I realized that I have these low functioning states once a week or more, and that's way more than most other people, and that when they happen, it ripples for days, and I'm like always in recovery mode, that I really had to up the ante and figure out, okay, now, so if that's true and that's a constant, how can I use what I've learned about how I work to counter that experience and in doing that i eventually reached a point and i've reached it several times in my life at this point i reached a point where i didn't have the rich weeks and poor weeks anymore where i was able to use the, my math and and reasoning knowledge and 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 algorithmic thought way of thinking to set myself up so that just like your health insurance would be or your taxes would be i got paid and a chunk of money would come out of that paycheck and do some stuff would happen to it and i would have money but I wouldn't, what I wouldn't have is the fear or anxiety that I couldn't spend it. And it would be the same amount every time because I was paid salary. Well, that sounds simple enough. But and if people who are watching and listening or even maybe you don't have that experience where every time you get paid, it's like, oh, this is free money. I can do whatever I want. It's This is going to be a hard thing to grab onto. But there's such, such an abundant state of mind that comes with that, such a freedom. It's the freedom that we all want by trying to plan and by trying to organize and by making our checklists. And um, and I had that for about a year that I lost my job and was faced with the next challenge of now, what do you do when you can't even trust that salary income to balance all this out when nothing, when everything's variable, how do you replicate that situation? And that sent me down another algorithmic journey. Ultimately, the reason I got into coaching is to replicate that feeling that I felt and to do it in a way that is well, as easy as possible to replicate. And from that, I built tools for myself and replicated it again in a constantly changing environment and realized, 
oh, I think I'm onto something here. Because if I can create this for myself several times over in any state, and I feel this feeling of there's no conflict, there's no fear, I have access to whatever I want. Now, of course, there's some realities that we have to face. So it's this bridge between that feeling and pragmatism, which launched me down in a whole, that was the third iteration. But now it's at a state where if the principles that I teach are applied in the right way, inner conflict disappears, even when everything else is changing. And people can find a way to trust themselves, even when they don't have full access to all of their mental faculties, just because of, I'm not going to tell you the secret sauce here on the, on the, on the podcast. So um, because of de two decades, essentially, of these fluctuations and explorations into mathematics and algorithms. And so coaching for me is a channel to deliver that. It's a way to change people's lives directly. And it wasn't, looking back, I don't think it's ironic that I got my diagnosis and then I got into coaching. Um, but I always knew, like for at least a decade, at least the first after the first iteration, I was like, people need this because what I got from my mother, who I had the same problem, she knew I was having money issues. She knew I was replicating her situation. When I got into that state and was using it for a while, she resented me because, wow. yeah, because I, I would make a statement like, um, do you need money for something? Like whatever, she, she had something happen. I'm like, do you need cash? We can work something out. And it came across like the guy with all the money. And I remember she said this comment. She was like, yeah, not everybody just has money tucked away like you do. And part of my, part of my process is to, um, it's not about money right? We can replicate this with time or energy. I, I was able to apply these algorithms to time management and energy management and money management, of course. But at the time it was money. And I saw the truth in where she was coming from, because that's the same truth that I resented myself against during my poor weeks. I was like, oh, F me. I can't, I can't do anything right. Like, What's with these rich people that all have all the money, you know, all the time, and then I would get paid and act like the rich person overspent. So it was just this really interesting dichotomy to see um, from somebody who knew what should be the case, but also had the exact, it was almost a predictable response. And it's, I see it to this day. It's the same response why I get blocked on Facebook and everything else. So there's a huge gap for people between them being where they are and feeling as though where they want to go is even achievable. And you see this all the time with neurodivergence. Suicide rates are higher. Mental health issues are higher. The overall self-confidence is in the drain most of the time. And the reason for that is because of what I call social indoctrination trauma. It's a trauma that we all experience. But the, the short version of it is that we should be able to do all these things that we generally aren't wired very well to do. And much like a computer, like you and I are talking over the internet right now. I have no idea where in the world you're even located. You're seeing my video. You're hearing my audio. There's all this encoding and decoding happening and transmission over just two lines, two like on off switches. So computers operate with very similar algorithms to what I've created. And when you learn these algorithms, they're incredibly counterintuitive. One of the most effective sorting algorithms looks like chaos when you follow it as it happens. Oh, I'm not surprised that things like June bugging are a thing, right? It looks like chaos. So 
the way for us to get over social indoctrination trauma and the way for us to make better decisions and end conflict is to i would go go use my systems but no like is to embrace these counterintuitive approaches and realize that if we resent them or if we have any negative charge or emotion toward them it comes down to not having had the tools for so long that you think yourself incapable which is what she was experiencing three years later i was able to have her remodel her kitchen in cash by the way but that was her turning point all right that's why i got into coaching okay i think that answers your question do you have do you do you think it did i kind of <laughs> went off the deep end there all right do you have any hyper focuses i try not to and there's a very specific reason um i have compulsions to hyper focus but I try not to because after every time I get into a hyper-focused session and I'll define that as an hour and a half or more of just a deep dive into something, I'm burnt out. I have no more energy for the day. And one of the methods that I use to ensure that I'm not burnt out is to take frequent breaks. And one of the things that I know about frequent breaks is when I take a break, even if it's to use the bathroom, I have answers to stuff that I would be sitting there for a half an hour trying to crank out and figure out. And all my brain needed to do is relax a little. <laughs> and that's a, that's the same pattern, right? It's this rich week and poor week pattern. It's, you know, poor people will get more payday loans than any other, than any, anybody else. And they'll pay high interest rates because of the lack of foresight. It's the same thing to me. I have a lot that I want to dive into and hyper-focus into, but I also recognize the immense value in buying my time back by stopping. That kind of reminds me of when I was in college. I had I had no idea how to study because my bachelor's degree was online and they did everything on a point-based system. So I reached out to my friends and they told me the best way to study is 10 minutes on, 5 minutes off. And Yep. Lo and behold, one day I'm walking down this pathway and I'm going over material in my head and I'm like, oh my God, I understand what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I find this a lot. There's, that is the point where a lot of the neurodivergent folks that I, I serve and like, I think this is in general, right? There's a resistance to stopping because the hyper-focus is a sense of dopamine, you feel really good. Like I was telling you before the call, today was one day where I hyper-focused for hours and I had to do yoga and exercise and all breath work and all kinds of stuff before our call to get back, right? Um, but I haven't done that in months. And there's a dopamine craving that you're looking for. Well, why would you be craving that much dopamine? It goes back to social indoctrination trauma. What is a typical deal like for you? Oh, I could. Okay. Um, I wake up at 4 a.m., 3 to 4 a.m. I go to bed between 8 and 9. I wake up at 3 to 4 a.m. Uh, it, it takes me about 45 minutes to just get going. What that consists of is sitting at the edge of my bed and procrastinating for a few minutes. I have my phone on night on, on uh, block. It blocks everything. I can't message anybody. I can't do anything. So I just sit there generally hating my life. Honestly, it's, it's very difficult to wake up, um, not just because of the hour but my body is stiff. I'm in pain. I don't want to do anything, all these things. And I remember that I've custom formulated a, uh, if you haven't heard of nootropics, they're cognitive enhancers. They, they are really helpful for a lot of things. And I custom formulated a stack 
that have raw powders on the desk behind me. So I know I remind myself, hey, if you do ABC, XYZ, your sense of being and all of this is going to dissipate and you're going to be in a different state. So you're procrastinating to avoid the state you're in. Just get up and do it. And eventually, if I don't get up and do it, I have to use the bathroom. So I have to get up and do it anyway. So I start that, um, use the bathroom. I'll, I'll do some yoga. I'll take my nootropic supplements. I do body mind and spirit practices before anything, unless I'm really inspired, unless I'm like, oh, this thing's on my mind. I want to address it. I'll do yoga. I'll do breath work. I'll do stretching each of those at least a half an hour. Not that I have a timer running, but what I'm looking for is openness and space, space in my mind, space that is not, I hate my life space that reconnects me to a desire to want to help people. Um, which is there. It's just buried under the pain of sleeping. My bed's not comfortable, all kinds of problems. So I, I do that. And then I get into um, things that are uh, that are serving the people who have already paid me. So that might mean going into Slack and connecting with all my clients. That might mean following up on calls from the previous day. I like to do that at night, but sometimes it doesn't happen. That might mean uh, just reviewing you know, the calls that are coming up. Like I sent you that message, you mm -hmm. know, uh, um, about the call that was coming up. So starting to just enter into the day, um, do those kind of things. Um, my days are pretty regular. They're, they're reaching out to clients, connecting with them. They're doing all my business stuff. So that might mean responding to posts on Facebook, responding to comments, responding to direct messages, uh, managing my CRM, putting out content, um, I usually have two to three calls a day. So that's about a couple of hours there. And in between time, I'm managing, I'm going over my finances and managing that. There's a whole lot of cleanup I'm doing from some other errors that were made. I um, I, I might throw in some exercise if I um, have the time. I really used to, I used to take two to three hours a day to exercise and I regret not doing it now, it's, but it's managing my time. Um, and the way I manage, like I could go down an itemized list, but ultimately the way that I manage it is I use Pomodoro. So often it'll be when I, either when I start to make my supplements or right afterwards, um, I'll hit the timer and just start following it. And sometimes I might need to pause and go a little late and that's fine too. Uh, and then I'm following the list that I made myself the night before. So I think the most, I'm going to just shortcut this by saying the end of everything, the most important part of my day is the night before. Because in that night before time, I'm reviewing all the conversations that I've had during the day. I'm processing. I'm just planting seeds in my mind. I'm finding the important questions I want to answer. I'm finding something to be excited about the next day to remind myself when I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, because I know I will. I am, um, I am building out my Pomodoro blocks for the next day as well. And they don't always go in that, the order that I, I prescribe myself. But what they do is they give me a list of things to choose from. They give me a context from which to pull. And I have my project management system up, which has everything categorized by most important for the business. Um, and then I have a personal section. And then I have my Pomodoro stuff up. And I just run stuff that way. Um, it's worth noting that the way I'm, the way I choose all these things is that every week, I look at what I did the previous week. So I'll look at what an average day over the past week has looked like, how much time I'm contributing to personal versus administrative stuff versus revenue generating stuff, serving clients, things like that. I look at what can be delegated. So that sets up things that I might delegate if I can, um, you know, if, if, 
if I, as I build out the VA team or, you know, if I have the training set up or whatever, it's just reviewing the week sets me up for the next week. And then each day I'm following that plan. And then I'll look at a month, you know, like I'm doing a monthly review over these next few days, which means I have a stack of sticky notes that are maybe an inch high right now where I'm triaging, hey, is this stuff that I want to be doing? Is it new things to consider? Does it fall in line with the current plan? So everything I'm doing is intentional based on some context that I've created to build out a plan. And if it's not intentional, it becomes a liability. It becomes unplanned time, unintentional time, which sucks for a lot of the people that care for me or want to, you know, surprise me with something or do something that I didn't expect. And at the same time, for uh, for me, and I think for a lot of us neurodivergence, having that surprise deviation comes with a huge risk of forgetting why stuff, other stuff is important, forgetting how, you know, the context that you create for yourself, as well as forgetting um, to even come back to it or hyper-focusing or being burnt out. So it creates this nervous system instability. So if, if somebody wants something from me, I say, hey, 25, give me 25 minutes. That's just my standard thing because that's the length of a Pomodoro block. Give me 25 minutes and I'll get back to you. Or, you know, I don't answer my texts unless I'm in a Pomodoro block. Or if they want to plan something consistent, I'm like, let's make that intentional. Otherwise, we're just, what's the point? Like, I'm a very mission-driven person. Some people aren't, but for people who are mission-driven, it's like, what's the point of doing something unintentionally, you know? Yeah. What advice do you have for those who are getting diagnosed late? Getting diagnosed late. Huh? Understand your reason for wanting a diagnosis. Some people think that the diagnosis will make things available to them that will make their life easier. In my experience, the diagnosis may do that, but it also makes your life harder in some ways. And they about balance each other out. So if you're not looking for a diagnosis for confirmation or for a very specific purpose, um, I would I would invite you who is getting diagnosed late, I would invite you to be clear on what your intention is in getting one. All right. Now let's go back to you for a minute. Do you yep. have any sensory issues? Yes, quite a few. All right. You want me to tell you about them? You can if you want. <laughs> Up to you. I'm happy to. No. Um, lighting, sound, and I think texture too, but I have just not been as connected with my body, so it's hard to know. I can tell you for sure lights. Like when I do these calls, these are fluorescent lights just because of how the camera works best. If I have fluorescent lights on for more than an hour and a half, I get drowsy. I get tired. I feel burnt out. Um, I can turn on for just a second here. I've got a halogen light. Now, most people are like halogen sucks, but that's a halogen light that just turned on. And that's what I usually use during the day. Uh, I'll, that light turns on. It wakes me up in the morning. Um, I have lights like that all around for two reasons. They're warm. And the color temperature isn't so, it's not cold. It's not that burning your eyes out thing. I also have blue blockers that I wear, mm. just blue lights. The blue lights really affect me. And there's, 
I've done a deep dive into the neurology and, 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 and nervous system stuff too. So I think they affect a lot of people, but mm -hmm. people just assume it's okay to be tired like this when there's something they could do. Sound is huge for me. I used to have a music studio. Um, the mic I'm talking to you on now is okay, but I, I, you know, used to record, I used to play guitar. I used to, uh, I don't anymore just because my life has changed a bit, but and I used to have a, a room that I made. I lined it with 15 moving blankets or more. Some It's a high number, a lot. And pitch black and totally dark. I could go in that room and I didn't realize that I was as sensitive to noise as as I was. And I probably even now, as I, since I haven't had that room in a while, don't fully feel it, but I know it. I went into that room. And within five minutes, fell asleep, woke up 20 minutes <laughs> later, thinking I got a full think I got a full night's sleep in 20 minutes because of how rested I was. That was a room I was making as a vocal booth. Um, so, And I also am very able to hear like if I'm setting up my equipment, I can hear the difference between a speaker pointed at me or just like a couple degrees off. I can set up an environment by just moving, you know, moving speakers or. Or, or, or microphones a couple of inches and it sounds totally different. So uh, I'm, I'm big on sound. It brings me a sense of peace. It brings me a sense of there's something about having good audio. It's a lot like having a, a working computer. You know, I like to say I was a, an IT guy before I was a programmer. And I like to say that um, technology is one of those things that you don't notice until it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Sound is one of those things that if it, it, that you don't notice how bad it is until well you have to have some experience if it's sounding really good but once you have that experience you don't you don't notice good sound you notice bad sound and i've had to get very connected with what causes my neck to get tight what causes my body to get tight it's light and sound um dog barking people like in in this room that i'm in it's an office in a basement so when people are walking i i know where everybody is in the house and I can't shut that off. No. Would you say you have hypersensitivities to like sound and light and smell? Because I know with me, all of a sudden I've noticed I'm able to hear certain sounds really affect me more than other people. I can hear my mom's cell phone in a noisy place. Smells especially, I'm very hypersensitive to. Like if I'm surrounded by in the areas where people are smoking or anything the smells just make me nauseous interesting i don't know if i'm hyper so i know that i'm hypersensitive to sound because when i point out or adjust sound in the way that i described people think i'm crazy i don't experience that judgment about smells what i do notice about smells is that things it's similar to taste like i i take a shot of apple cider vinegar every morning if i don't do that for a few days yeah exactly if i don't do that for a few days that's the look on my face is oh this is disgusting but if i do it every day it's almost something i crave my mother was a smoker most of her life um when she was smoking and i was living at home i couldn't i couldn't smell when she was smoking i can smell a smoker outside the house away from the basement so I think when it comes to those things, some things you, you have a sort of adapted sensitivity mm -hmm. to because of the lack of stimulation. I don't think that I have a, like, I'm not the kind of person who can't smell 
actually, I, I think I actually bad perfumes or bad candles or fake odors. Like I don't like them. They don't give me a headache or anything, but I really, they actually could take away from my focus quite a bit. Um, I know some people who they get headaches, they get migraines. I'm not one of those. All right. What do you struggle with on a day to day? Giving a shit. <laughs> um, that's the biggest one. And I think a big part of the reason I, what that looks like for me is uh, like I described to you in the morning. And if that focus is broken, it doesn't take long. It takes maybe 20 minutes for me to just feel powerless and feel like I'm unable to anything. And then it's a downward spiral into hell. Um, um, so all of my practices are designed for me to remember that I care. Um, and I guess it's not just giving shit. I guess it's, it's also, um, I guess it's also underneath that is nervous system management. I'm at a point in my life right now where I am, uh, an eight out of 10 most days, just for reasons. And it's not because of my schedule. Um, but my schedule certainly is not very forgiving. If I screw something up, I end up having a ripple effect for days and there's not much tolerance in my life to that right now. So if I were to make a more general statement that I think we all can relate to, it's the fear of consequences that we can't see, the fear of consequences that I can't see. Uh, when something changes or deviates or when there's something new, I have a lot of trepidation or I have apathy and just do it anyway. One of those areas, uh, you mentioned sensitivities, one of those areas is food. I've gone through several instances. Sorry about that. I've gone through several instances in my life recently where I fasted for extended periods. And when I do that, all of my cravings for sugars and candies and sweets and fried foods and even meat go away. And I crave things like kefir and and like like fresh strawberries. I can taste the difference between strawberries that have been frozen versus, you know, just recently, you know, it's, I get very sensitive to taste. And so when we talk about a difficulty and when I say it's this sense of, um, this sense of remembering the value of what I know to be true like that I'm here to help people and all these things with and and nervous system sensitivity the the cost of not remembering that is and one of the reasons I'm I've had so many instances of fasting is that when I reach a certain point of overload which it's way before I lose my temper or yell or anything else I'll just start eating like cupcakes and cookies and shove stuff like I just don't care you know it's um it's your comfort it's my comfort, but it's also, it's all, it's also directly related to the nervous system regulation, right? So what do I struggle with on a day-to-day? -day? I would say nervous system regulation, because if I don't wake up in physical pain, I don't have to get pain out of my body. It's a clearer channel, clearing my channel, clearing my body, clearing my ability to be able to, um, 
I don't, I don't know that there's been something that we in the community have labeled that, but I do think there's a central cause. Not, do you have problems of social cues, reading people's facial expressions? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I've, one of those things I've had to deep dive into is, is this a, is my difficulty understanding people a me problem or am I just super susceptible and sensitive to it? And one of the, one of the conclusions I've come to comes back to the boxes of labels Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Every word is a symbol for a bigger idea. So what I would say is I have trouble reading social cues of people who I have fundamentally different sets of um, like fundamentally different hierarchies of how I value and construct language. Some may know that as the double empathy problem, but it's not always neurotypicals that I have trouble understanding. And in fact, even in the double empathy problem, there was never anybody that had 100% comprehension. So I have trouble a lot of the time with people specifically who have a different way of putting together or taking apart similar concepts. And what I've boiled that down to in all this algorithmic math stuff and what I teach is a simplified version of that. Um, in fact, one of one of the 15 aspects that make up discernment is the emotional state. Mm-hmm. And if people that I'm, I can tell because this is my work, like if I'm talking to somebody and they have a different value system, if I'm sharing some information and they really don't value it or vice versa, uh, but they're entertaining it as neurotypical people will do all the time or they're being casual or nice. Um, I find that it ultimately boils down to a difference in how one values either what they think is behind the idea that I'm saying or the concept that I'm saying based on their projection, or they don't value my perspective. Either way, it's then when the social cue stuff breaks down, because for me, I just want you to be honest and tell me I don't give a you know, I don't I don't care. I don't care what you're saying. I'm cool to hear that. Um, a lot of people are not. All right. Now let's get to the question at hand. And that is, do you feel that people should have the right to la- tell us what we should label ourselves? Either autistic, Asperger's, Audi, AD. Nope. Nope. And the reason for that is exactly what I just said. Um, the reason for that is because fundamentally words are a symbol. I don't think anybody has the right to impose anything on anybody. I think that if one imposes something on another, it demonstrates either one of two things. One, you don't value the other. Or two, you have a complete and fundamental misunderstanding of what you think the other values. Because I have seen people say, um, you should use this word because don't you want to stand up for or represent XYZ idea? But what they fail to see in that particular frame is, yes, I, I do want to represent that idea, but I also have other, that's not a complete picture, that that mm-hmm. opinion of me not wanting to represent, say, the Asperger, the Asperger label is not a complete picture. Um, 
if that's a true thing for me. Ultimately, I incorporate philosophy and Socratic thinking into a lot of my work. So the answer to your question is fundamentally no, because the underlying principle of the thing, the underlying principle of that question um, comes with an imposition. In order for people to say, yes, I get to tell you what to label yourself. You're also agreeing that there is an authority outside of you that gets that you have to defer the meaning of who you are to and that that authority gets to declare it for you. And let's say. Let's say that you don't agree with, you know, Nazi Germany or you don't agree with um, some of the other background related issues or, or maybe even some of the science, but you agree with other science. And you see a representation of this science that you agree with as being one word. And somebody sees the exact same set of symbols, the exact same set of concepts as being another word. Again, words are symbols. So for us to argue semantics based on a converged idea, i.e. a word or even a picture or what something is, is, is a fool's errand, in my opinion, to the point where, I don't know if you've seen this guy, but there's a very um articulate native american advocate who's been in the media a lot lately uh not not like you know cnbc or abc but he's showing up on everybody's feeds and he describes how language his most of the lakota tribe doesn't have clear nouns if they do it's only a a a specific instance in a specific time in a specific way of working with something you know for example this isn't this isn't just water that i'm drinking it would either be the water that i'm drinking in this moment in this interview at this time or it would be like the the flow of life and that's more of a concept right um just to edify my point a bit and things outside of myself and finally where can people find out more about you in your practice Cool. So if you want to learn more about me, you can um, you can go to if you want to connect with me directly, especially ChristopherFern.com slash group. It will bring you to my Facebook group um, where I am always I'm on top of all of the comments and all of the, the responses. I speak a lot about the philosophies and principles I've described here in that group. If you're interested in learning the um psychology and neurology of neurodivergence as i mentioned at the beginning of this call go to mindfulwaytraining.com and that's it ladies and gentlemen i'm reed miles and that was christopher fur and i'll see you in the next one thank you christopher thank you thank you take care Take pills, I have the dream.